Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Restoration Foursquare Church audio podcast. We're glad you're joining us today. Stay tuned for today's sermon. Enjoy, and God bless. Amen. <clears throat> so, um, so that you are not cheated, I'd like for my wife to come up and just greet you briefly, if you don't mind. Thank you. second service. You guys are so blessed to have two services in your church. (laughs) If you don't have enough of God in the first service, you can come again and get some more. (laughs) Amen. But my name is Casey Alati. As he said, this is my beloved husband, Pastor Agabus. We are members of Family Life Fellowship in Hyde Park, Massachusetts. We bring you greetings from our church family. What a privilege it is to join you. And I just urge you to open your hearts. God has given him a word for the church today. And I pray that you will receive it and take it outside these walls and do what God is calling you to do as a child of God in Jesus' name. May you be blessed as you receive God's word today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. What do you go to church to do? Why are you here? <laughs> there are rhetorical questions that I want you to ponder as we progress. Shall we pray? <clears throat> Dear Father, we thank you so much for your presence in this place. We belong to you. We are your children. We thank you that you have kept us through the night and given us grace to be here today. We ask for the presence of the Holy Spirit to come and exalt Jesus, Jesus our Lord, Jesus our Savior, Jesus our High Priest, Jesus our King. And Lord, I pray that you touch every heart and soul and penetrate into the deep recesses of our being. Help us to know you, to love you, and to love one another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen? Amen. Amen. May I hear your voices one more time, amen? Amen. All right, this is better. (laughs) All right. So this morning, uh, I have a message from the Lord, and I told the people that were here in the first service that this is not a message I have preached. But the Lord impressed this upon me as I was given the invitation to come and share with you. And so yesterday after our walk, we, we, love, we love to walk. So we found um, a very nice trail. And so we've done like 14 miles in two days. It's, it's easy to do it, just one step after the other. <laughs> you keep going. And the Lord was still impressing things on me. I woke up last night. I. I went, I went to see, you know, if I could find what is happening with my church on Facebook. I like to follow them on Facebook. And uh, <clears throat> I, I couldn't see anything. So I spent all my time still studying and getting ready for you this morning. 
If you have a Bible, would you please grab the Bible? I want to speak about the eternal purpose in Christ, the eternal purpose of God in Christ, which plainly speaks about what God had in mind long before we became Christians, before Christ came, that he had a plan, a purpose. And as I studied the scriptures, I went to the book of um, Ephesians, Chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, and it says this in the NIV. It says, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times would have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together on the one head. That's what it says. Even Christ. Is bringing everything together on that one head, even Christ. And, and so in, in that scripture, it just makes clear that God's ultimate purpose for his church, God's primary purpose for us is not for us to go and bring souls into the kingdom of God. That is not what he's called us to do. His primary purpose for us is that we will know him. And as we get to know him, then everything will fall into place. So when the Lord Jesus Christ was praying, you know, when we pray, we share what uh, is our desire to God. When Jesus was praying, he started emphasizing some things. He, he prayed and said this. He said this in the book of John, chapter 17, 3 through 5. It says, and, and, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He says, I, I have glorified you on earth and I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, oh Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory I had with you before the world began. And, and so Jesus says in this prayer that our primary objective in life as believers is the pursuit of God himself. You know, if you travel the world, and we do go outside of America once a year to Africa, and, and we travel, and you go to places, and the emphasis, the focal point of the gathering of the saints is about money and how to get rich and how to, you know, advance yourself and live the convenience of this life, the convenience and comforts of this life. But Jesus says that your goal and my goal is to know God. God. Amen, somebody. He says, we have to know God. And, and, and the way we know God is to start to get into a place where we can fellowship with God and with his son. Now, when you speak about knowledge, there are several words in the Bible that speaks about knowledge. And, and, and there is a word that I love so much. And this word is epignosis, which is not the initial fragmented knowledge. You know, when you're trying to get to know somebody, it's, it's, you don't know them completely. You know them superficially. And, and it, it takes time to know that person. And so the word epignosis is not the word here. And I believe that's what God is asking us to know about him. Paul says this in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 onwards. He says this, it says that, Ever since we learned about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, we have not stopped. 
giving thanks for you, remembering you in our prayers. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and knowledge so that you will know him better. The spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you will know him better. The word epignosis in that sense means that it expresses the pursuit of the learner to be involved in a thorough participation for the acquisition of that knowledge. In other words, when you become a Christian, God wants you to know him first. And that is our subjective unity. Our subjective unity is that, you see, Jesus prayed and said, I want you to glorify me with yourself. The glory that I had with you before the creation of the world. And so what he's saying is, there is something about God, not the hands of God, but the being of God, the person of God that we need to know. And Epignosis speaks about a thorough participation of us, the students, in the acquisition of that knowledge. In other words, nobody is going to know God for you. You have to know God for yourself. Amen, somebody. You have to pursue him. You have to move away from the elemental, fragmented knowledge of God into the Epignosis. Now, because the Epignosis of God, listen to this will powerfully influence your spiritual life, that you will know him better. Uh, It powerfully influences your spiritual life because it lays claim on your personal involvement. I ask you, why are you here? What do you come here to do? Most people go to church for all kinds of reasons, okay? It's something that you do on Sunday. But Jesus prayed that we would do, do what? Get to know God. Get to know him personally. Get to know him in debt and know him, the Lord Jesus Christ, as well. Now, one of the practices that we need to engage in in order to know God is to learn to pray. We learn to pray. Most of the time when people pray, they do all the talking and amen and they're gone. You see, but prayer is supposed to be an interactive conversation interactive experience. In other words, you speak to God and God speaks to you. And so there is, uh, there is not just the, the practice of talking, but also the practice of listening. Amen? Because God wants to say something to you that you will not hear anywhere. As you talk to him, he begins to open up himself to you. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, spent all night praying in the book of Luke 6 and verse 12. He spent all night praying. What was he saying to God? Was he doing all the talking? No. Actually, if you go to the book of Isaiah, I didn't read this with the first service. If you go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 50, verses 4 through 6, this is a messianic scripture. And it says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. I gave my back to those who struck me, my cheeks to those who plucked out my beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. Now, you know what he's saying here? When God 
God speaks to you, sometimes he prepares you on how to deal with suffering and the issues of life so that you are strengthened and encouraged knowing that God knows you, God is with you, God will see you through. Prayer is uh, an interactive uh, you know, experience with God that we need to engage in. Jesus said that they may know you, the true God's subjective unity. God and I have to be united together. You don't depend on any other person to get to know God. It's a personal pursuit. You may depend on the pastor giving you the scriptures and giving you words of wisdom and all of that, but your pastor cannot know God for you. You have to know God for yourself. Your, your wife cannot know God for you. You have to know God for yourself. Sometimes you have wives struggling and praying and dragging their husbands to get to know God. But you have to know God for yourself, each one of us. Your parents cannot know God for you, young people. You have to know God for yourself. Because if you don't know God for yourself, you get to a certain age where there is no more parental supervision. And guess what happens? You will walk out of the church because it's meaningless. You didn't get to know God personally. Amen. Jesus said, I pray for this people that they will know God and they will know the Lord Jesus. Know me also. One of the things that goes with um, worship, we talk about worship, is that the knowledge of God has to precede worship. How do you worship what you don't know? Jesus said to uh, the woman at Sychawell in John chapter 4, verse 22, he says, you worship what you don't know. He said to him, but we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. So the knowledge of God has to lead us into worship. Amen. The Bible actually spoke about a group of people in the book of Romans chapter 1. He addresses the Gentile world. He addresses the Jewish world. He comes to the close of it and says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But when he was addressing the Gentile world, verse 21 of chapter 1, he says, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. No, were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. In other words, the first thing you do when you get to know God is you start glorifying him. Amen, saints. You have to glorify God. Now, I also want to let you know that it is important to understand that the worship of God is not isolated and restricted to a particular place. You say, we come and we say, we're going for worship. But the worship of God, to know God, we have to continuously worship God. Doesn't the Bible say in the book of Romans chapter 12, I beseech you, brethren, therefore by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service. The word service there is worship. It says, do not conform to this world, but be ye what transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may prove what is that good 
and acceptable and perfect will of God. So the purpose of worship is that I will grow and become strong in the will of God. It's not restricted and isolated. Wherever you go in life, whenever you apply and implement God's will, you are worshiping God. You are worshiping God in your home when you are patient with your spouse and loving and prayerful for your children. You are worshiping God. It is not when you come to this place where you start worshiping God. God is everywhere. Amen, somebody. His worship is not isolated or restricted to a particular place. Actually, the Lord Jesus Christ said this to that same woman, the psyche, in John 4, 21, 24. He says, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship God. He says God is by his spirit going to decentralize worship. It's going, not going to be at a particular place. Amen. Not in Jerusalem. Not in this mountain. Not in this church. Amen somebody. Amen. He says you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. When you know whom you worship, this is what happens. You do not Restrict him to certain places of your life. God is always with you wherever you are. God is with you. God, he says, I will never leave you, never forsake you. He's there. Amen, somebody. And when you believe that, he says, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers of God. Say true with me. True. Worshippers of God will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is sick and such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So Jesus was saying that the worship of God is not going to be in this church. Uh, it's good when we come together and collectively worship God, but in your bedroom, in your kitchen, in the bathroom, at the office, wherever you go, you are bringing the will and the purpose of God to bear on the issues of life. Whenever you have a situation facing you in life and you choose not to do your own thing, but to do what God pleases, you are worshiping God. So true worship is not isolated to a place, and true worship also does not mean that we have to isolate our experiences from our communion with God. You isolate your experience, you create a dichotomy between your experience and what? Your communion with God. So sometimes you feel very spiritual, you're singing, you're dancing, and all of that. Other times you feel very low. They sing the songs like uh, Louis Armstrong. Nobody knows the trouble I see. Nobody knows. But you are not to be pitied because you have a continuous audience with God. Now let me share with you some of the positive uh, characteristics of the person who worships God. The person who worships God does not live a fearful life. God wants you to know him. 
so that you will not live a fearful life. And why are you not living a fearful life? Because you trust that God is with you all the time. Amen. Amen. The Bible says that as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. Is that right? For God has not given us the spirit of bondage again to fear, but he has given us the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. One of the things you have to learn to do is to crawl unto God no matter what situations you face. Amen? So a characteristic of a person who worships God is not fearful, is not anxious, is not overwhelmed by the issues of life. Amen, saints? It's not fearful, it's not anxious, it's not overwhelmed. It is not, he doesn't go about in life complaining and murmuring. He goes about life with a joyful spirit, amen? Because he's close to God. He's close to God. You have to understand this, that the things that happen to you, the Bible says in the book of Romans 8, 28, it says, but we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. That's what it says there. Is that right? We know that all things uh, work together for those who love God. So basically, the words work together is two words in the English, but basically it's a compound word. It's one word in, 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 the, in, in the Greek. And what it means is that we know that God will make all things that work together to cooperate and contribute for my good. He will make all things to what? Cooperate and contribute for my A worshiper of God believes. He knows. That all things, and when I say all things, listen to me, it does not just mean good things, all right? So he's saying that the origin and the nature of what is coming against me does not matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter at all what is coming against me. It doesn't matter where it came from. Whether from the devil or from self or those who envy me or those who are jealous of me, it doesn't matter at all. If its intention is to come and destroy me, it doesn't matter at all because, because I'm a worshiper of God and because I know God, when things come against me, I know that God is going to cause all of them collectively to start agreeing, cooperating, and contributing for my well-being. Don't live a fearful life. You get it? So people who worship God, whether individuals or events, they will cooperate and contribute. I can't go into my life. I'll share stuff with you that I may not have shared with the people in, from the first service. But let me just say a little bit. My wife, first wife passed 2010. Two years later, my daughter who graduated from college, we paid a lot of money because my, my wife got a lot of money from her job, so we didn't qualify for a lot of the money, the, the free, free money. So we paid a lot of money, over $130,000. She graduated. Excellent. She came home. Two months later, she was dead. She went out with her friends. They wanted to celebrate her. There were four girls in the car. They were going to... You know, one of the girls was going home, so they got to a house and stopped. I don't know, people came from somewhere, they shot at them, killed three of them. 
My wife was one of them. This happened on my birthday. But what I'm saying to you today is that it is painful, it's hard, but if you know God, God will give you strength that you can never imagine or think about because he has not left you. He's with you. He's right there. He does not change. He does not sleep, not slumber. Things may happen to you if he allows it. He knows the reason he allowed it. And worship of God shouldn't cease because certain things happen in our lives. Amen, saints? Amen, Amen, saints? So the point is that when Jesus prayed for us, his first first desire is for us to know God. Because once you know him, you are free. Once you know him, you are emboldened. Once you know him, the things that would make other people fall and totally be disintegrated, you you are not fragmented by the issues of life. Amen, somebody. You got to say amen to that, everybody. Amen. You are not fragmented. You are not totally destroyed by the issues of life. Amen. Because God lives. We sing the song around Christmas. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Amen. God lives. Amen, saints. So, so that is, that is um, subjective unity. And I want to go down and talk about collective unity. In verse 9 of the same book of John 17, he prayed and said, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. I pray for them. The first point I made is unity with God. The second point I'm making is unity with one another, unity in the body. Know God and then know others who have also come into that same knowledge with God. You know, one of the main things that we have to understand is that unity is the key to a powerful church, to a progressive church, to a prospering church. And I don't mean money. Don't let your mind, I'm not here to talk about money. I don't talk about money. All right? But it is the key for that. Apostle Paul received such great revelation in the book of um, Ephesians chapter 4. He said this, he says, As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. It says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. For there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, who is father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Now, unity speaks about the oneness of the body. The body of Christ. After we know God, you see, we were not saved to be given an assignment to go and win souls. We were saved to know God. We were saved to come into unity with everybody 
who has known God. And the, the, the point of unity is so important that if you are disunited in your marriage home, you bring it to church. You didn't hear me. If you are disunited in your family of origin, you just carry it to church. Because you become suspicious of people. You are not open to love people like you should. And, and, and the Lord brings us all in. And one of the things that Paul said also in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he, he talks about the body. That although the body is one, it has many members. And a member is a constituent part of the body. is partially certain parts of the body. And basically what he's saying is that when we come together as the body of Christ, none, nobody here is more important than the other person. Right. You didn't hear that. I said nobody sitting here is more important than you. Right. You are so important to this body. You're so vital to this body. Amen, saints. You have something to contribute that no other person will be able to contribute. And so when people introduce themselves to me as Christian, the first thing I ask them is where do you go to church and what do you do in church? And I'm asking you the same. It's a rhetorical question. Don't answer. Pray about it. Do you just come and take and go away or you are contributing something? You see, if your physical body operates like the church operates, your physical body will be dead by now. Because every cell and every member and every part of your body is always doing something for the overall good of the body. You get it? Everyone is doing something. Now we have a tendency in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the tendency was to elevate certain people or people elevated themselves because of the visibility of their gifts. Because they stand in front of the people, they say they are more important. So other people say, well, I'm not more important. So the Bible says, if the eye or the ear or the hand should say that because, you know, I'm not visible, I'm not a member of the body, that doesn't make you, that does not dismember you. You are still a member of the body. Okay, but what we need to understand, we need everyone in the body of Christ. Amen? Turn around and look at somebody. You need everyone in the body of Christ. We need everyone. Number two, we have to respect everyone in the body of Christ. Amen? And number three, we have to sympathize with everybody in the body of Christ. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you come across these things there. We need everyone. We have to respect everyone. We have to sympathize with everyone because everybody's con contributing. I, I use this illustration. You know, how many of you saw your heart this morning? When you woke up, which part of your body did you go to look at in the mirror? Your, your lungs, your liver? No, they are concealed. You never see them, is that right? But you know that you can never live without your liver? Is that right? Yes. Those portions of the body that are not visible are necessary because I can live without my two hands. I can live without my two feet. I can maybe even live without 
setting, you know, my eyes, but I can never live without my inside. The Bible says they have greater honor, although they are concealed. And I want to say to you today that because you are not up here doing something, does not mean that you are not important. Amen, somebody. You have something to provide, to contribute to the body of Christ. You need to discover your gift. You need to develop your gift. You need to implement your gift in the body of Christ. Collective unity also means this. We fight against the plans and strategy of the devil to destroy our unity. Amen. The pigmentation of your skin does not matter at all. God doesn't look at you and say, oh, white man, black man. God does not look on the outside. God doesn't care about what you look on the outside. He looks on the inside. And it's important that no matter where you come from, I'm from Africa. I've lived in this country for about 32 years. My, my wife who passed, this, this is my second wife, and this is her second husband. They passed. She, she wasn't from Africa. You should feel very comfortable in the midst of people who doesn't come from the same place with you. Because our earthly designations matters just a tiny little bit. You should feel amazingly, gloriously happy around everybody in the, in, in the church. Don't look at them from the outside. Collective unity is what the devil wants to destroy. And it brings about some very flimsy and very, very unimportant things to destroy the body. Uh, Jesus prayed for his body, and Paul gave a teaching on the unity of the body. The last point I want to make, so I just spoke about uh, subjective unity. You have to know God. Collective unity, we need to be what? We need to be united, and we need to function. Every part has a unique gift. God gives the gifts for the profit of all. So we rob the church if we don't identify our particular gift. Because you see, verse 7 of the book of Ephesians 4 says, but to everyone of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. To everyone, every child of God has a spiritual calling, a spiritual gift that needs to be manifested in the church for the profit of all, for the advantage of all. So I just spoke about collective unity. Now I want to speak about effective unity. And effective unity is a unity that is successful in producing a desired or intended result. Now, you know, there are people that are not part of the church. Jesus has not forgotten about them. He prayed first for those who were part of the body. Now, let's go to John 17, 14 through 23. He's praying now for those who are not part of the body. It says, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. 
Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. Now, we are collective, we are one, but we have a mission. We've been sent into the world, verse 19. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. When you go down to verse 20, he says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word. Now he's talking about people who are not part of the body, you see. And so God now wants our unity to also become effective. He says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. Our unity is what becomes the effective attraction to the people who are out there in the world. Now, one of the, the, the callings that God has given to you is to penetrate the realms of darkness to set free the captive. You think you're ready for that? You think you're ready for that to be like a Team Six Marine guy? You know, going to the realm where Osama bin Laden is and just extract people from that region or kill, kill Osama bin Laden. You think you can do that? Yes, spiritually, you, you have been shaped to do that. In collaboration with everybody in the church, we become a mighty force. You see, that's why our unity is so important. We're a mighty force when we collaboratively get together and we begin to move as the church. Jesus says, I will build my church, come on, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. A church that is invading the territories of the enemy is a living church. A church where the devil is invading and destroying things is a dead church. Amen? So we have a strategy, and our strategy begins with intercession. Say intercession with me. So we go between God and people, and we pray with them. We pray for them. Intercessions, as I have stated, has this effect. It's interferes with the kingdom of hell. It interrupts the activities of the kingdom of hell. It intercepts the progression of the kingdom of hell. People are bound. And some of us, people don't know at our jobs, even our families don't know that we are Christians. Have you heard of the, the guy by name of Nicodemus? He went in the dark to go and see Jesus because he didn't want people to see him. And you cannot just come to sit in church every Sunday. Now, did you start from January to now? Yes. A lot of you, I heard you answer, you say yes. If you started from January to now, who is sitting next to you apart from your wife and child that you actually penetrated darkness and God used you to bring them to church. This is the practice of Christianity. Modern day Christianity, we go all the time, but we don't have those who are not yet part of the fold with us. And that is your responsibility. There's, there's no need for a whole church organized campaign to go and bring people to Jesus. God has called you to do that. Amen, saints? So you need to go and you should bring them. And that is the effective unity. The most important thing for you to start doing is to know God for yourself. And number two, 
to know God's people and become together bound with them in Christ. And number three, to also know those who are not yet part of the body. Shall we pray? Dear Father, we've come before you today in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. We are so blessed to know you, that we will not live a, a life of anxiety, fear, and worry because we have been brought into, and we have been brought into that communion with God. I pray for your anointing upon everybody who sits here, that there will be examples in their homes as part of the body of Christ, people who know Jesus, people who have a, a personal, deep knowledge of God. I pray that you use them outside the walls of this church and their homes, that they will bring people who have been bound into your presence. Thank you so much for everything. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. And that concludes today's sermon. Thanks again for joining us in our Restoration Foursquare Church audio podcast. We pray that this message has encouraged and empowered your journey in following Jesus. If you would like to learn more about our church, please visit us by going to r4sq.org. We pray you have a great week. God bless.